On episode 93 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, streamline your processes. Making it simpler to understand the concepts and, and putting a good methodical training process in the place. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Neil Cordry spent nearly 40 years in manufacturing. Most of his time was spent working for DuPont. Now he's using his experience to help businesses streamline their processes. And now, here's Neil. All right, Neil. So for those who don't know, can you kind of introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Neil Cordry, and I've uh, recently retired from the DuPont company after 32 years and a 37-year working career, food and uh, retail before DuPont. Most of my work has been in people development, so from technical training to leadership development, career development, and uh, even instructional design to help others become better trainers. Excellent. And you have a little bit of a uh, history with some of our other podcast guests. You were recently at a workshop with Dr. Crystal Morrison. How was that? That was awesome. She did a great job. Chip was there and they tag team to share the concepts, principles around high performing and how to go from chaos to stability to high performing and some very practical things that you can do as a leader or an organization to shift your organization. And then you're a good friend of Kit Hutchinson, which is a he's another regular on this podcast. Yeah, Kent, since the beginning of this year when I met him, has been extremely helpful in helping myself along with some other colleagues, Michael Marshall and Steve Wilson, to understand, you know, he's been in the business for 15 to 20 years and he's uh, established, he's gotten a lot of clients, a lot of wisdom in this. So he's been very gracious to share that with us. So I didn't know if maybe this was a, a good place to start. When I was reading through your bio, it said something about the fact that you were able to help cut down the training time that people would need to get and retain concepts. Can you kind of talk about that and how you've been able to do that? Yeah, and that's one of my passions is uh, when I started in DuPont, came into a large pilot plant where we made uh, herbicides for um, testing quantities before they went to manufacturing. And it took about 18 months for a person to learn how to operate that equipment. So it's through just making it more efficient, making it simpler to understand the concepts and, and putting a good methodical training process in the place, we're able to cut that down to four to six months. And then taking those same concepts when you're teaching leaders, or if you're looking at career development or accelerating a leadership strategy, all those principles work as well. So a lot of what I try to do is keep things simple, give them what they need to get the performance and try to make that uh, some, from complex to as simple as we can to get the right performance. So a lot of, a lot of good cases over the years. So when you're working with someone to kind of streamline their processes, where's a good place to start? Looking at, we do some assessments in the beginning to see where they are, where their pain points are, what's keeping them from being successful. And then we look at what are the few key things that we can get started with to help them to ramp up and get some immediate wins and some performance, and then look at the longer term and say, okay, where are we going to go? Where are you now? Are you in a more chaotic state? Are you in a stable state? or are you in a more interdependent, high-performing state? And most of them are gonna admit that they're in more towards the chaos. So we say, what are the two or three systems if we can simplify those and get those right are gonna help you to get towards that stable place. And then that gives them the momentum to say, okay, what now what are the next two or three things that we can do? And you gave one example of kind of uh, how you were able to bring down the time needed to train someone on a certain thing. Have you had other examples of situations where you're able to cut the time in half? 
Yeah, a lot of the work in the last years was working with other sites in, within DuPont. And we applied the same principles there. So they would have maybe a 12 to 15 month training cycle. Some of them were just, you, you show up, you learn as you go along. There's not really a methodical way to learn. So what we did is try to put in a methodical way, give them some goals, help them to have good training roadmaps, good materials, good procedures, and some accountability. Some of those sites went from the 12 to 15 to the four to six months as well. And so how did you decide to kind of get into what you're doing currently? I worked for the manufacturing area, so that was more the technical training for 15 years. In 2000, I was hired into our corporate HR talent management group, and I was facilitating workshops that others uh, had created, and I was traveling around the country. And then as I grew and developed, I created my own resources as well in addition to those. I just found a passion that if we could help leaders to understand what are the few key things that they can do that are going to make a difference in their organization, help them to understand those and get those going. We saw that then the employees engagement would go up, their empowerment would go up, and then ultimately the performance of that unit or business would improve. So my passion is how can we get leaders to help employees to have a great experience in what they're doing, learn and develop so that they can meet the customer need and, and make raving fan customers. So I did that for the last 15 to 20 years of my career. I had an opportunity to retire um, in December, so I did that. And my passion now is to take these concepts within new reality leadership and help other organizations or, or individuals to grow and develop their leadership. So when you switched over and you were teaching these courses that other people had developed, what kind of stuff were you using and, and when did you say like, oh, I need to do some better stuff? It was a great learning for me when it happened. So I, the people that developed the original ones were geniuses. They, we had great leadership classes and I would go and teach these. People loved them, they enjoyed them. And anecdotally, they learned a lot. But what we found is that there wasn't enough follow-up and accountability at the end. So even though they'd come to the workshop, not a lot of performance at the end. So what I was doing, working with some of our colleagues is, what is it that's gonna drive the real performance? And what do we need to do in addition to just a nice event in a sense, to a process. So a lot of the work that we did, and this is where Michael Marshall joined in in those years in around 2006, and we piloted a lot of work around creating a process for leaders where they became coaches. And we also created it in a way that instead of just levels of organizations coming into a workshop, we would get the whole line group together. So from the unit managers, area managers, and first lines, they would work on real business situations and all align on the same leadership principles. That's where we found the biggest improvement in the organization structure and the performance of that unit. So that's a lot of what New Reality does is trying to get that process understood by the leaders. Yeah, I feel, and maybe you've seen this, that there's a disconnect in years past with how training should go, where people are concerned with how much the people going to training enjoy it rather than how impactful it is. So did you see that maybe the way that the curriculum was written before was around, oh, did people have a good time? Did they say they liked it? And then your stuff, maybe they didn't like as much in the sense that it was a lot of hard work probably they had to put in, right? Yeah, it was. And we learned some concepts where you, you still need to make that experience that they're in very enjoyable and memorable, but it's more of how is that going to drive their behaviors and the impact going forward? So there's a lot of organizational design in the process versus just the workshop itself. And we found that the workshops are more like a golf lesson. So you go for a 30 minute golf lesson, you get the concepts, but you're not going to come out and be able to hit your pitching wedge any better probably at the end of that. Yeah. But through the week, 
you're going to get a lot better. So what we tried to do is help them to say, what are they going to do in between the lessons that are going to drive the performance? You can't be Ricky Fowler overnight. You got to put in the time, right? Yeah. And it's uh, a lot of the business leaders today don't have the energy to wait for that long or they don't want to put the cost into it. So how do you make it simple enough so that it's part of what they're doing versus you got to send them all back to a workshop or travel and do those things. So my thought process is how do you make it so that you can do it as part of your work in smaller groups, shorter segments, but focused on a real goal? I don't want you to give away your complete secret sauce and everything, but when people come to these workshops, what are some of the core principles they're learning that you want them to go back and then practice? One of the things that we've tried to do is give them a good foundation of what are the four to six things that as leaders that they should be doing. And there, there's a module that we created that's called the role of a leader. And one of the things that I, I liked from last week that Chip and Crystal did was they talk about this model of chaos to stability to high performing. And we have something similar that as a leader, you're, you need to figure out where are you from a chaotic state to more stable, and then where do you wanna go from that? So that's one thing. A second principle is how do you grow the talent in your organization? So the development of that. So even though we don't have the training processes, there's other companies that can do that. Our principle is you have to develop people both in the technical skills, but in what some people call the soft skills. And what I like in 360 is the essential skills. Mm -hmm. So we talk about those type of things as well. And then the other thing, there's a few other things there, but one of the things I did in DuPont was watch the most successful employees from the ground floor, frontline, all the way up through senior leaders. And so what are the characteristics that they're displaying that are making them so successful? And I, I copied over about 15 years, I just made notes and case studies of what these people were doing. I also looked at what the, the least performing people were doing. And I created a process called the tier model, which is about 21 characteristics of these really high performing people. So nothing that I invented it's just observation of what people were doing. So as a coach, how do you as a leader look at that and coach people to those higher levels and get them to be able to adopt some of these high performing characteristics? So there are three things that we found that if you can do that, you can accelerate the development of your organization. So I like this tiered idea. So is it like you have to acquire one skill before moving to the next or are they just all kind of like you can choose which aspect you're going after? Yeah, usually it's fluid, so you're not in one segment or the other. So when people come into an organization, most of them, even if they're a higher level person, they're going to be in some type of a dependence on others to figure out what they're doing. Right. The main goal at that point is to learn your technical skills and the job that you're having to do. And most of your work is focused on you at that point. Then what you're trying to think of as you're getting into independent is, am I an expert in what I'm doing? So if you're an operator, can I run the equipment? Can I troubleshoot it well? If you're a, a chemist, can I you know, run the lab the way that I need to be able to do that. And am I pretty independent? And then if you could add on to that, how do I then look from me outward to the organization? So how am I drawing from the organization? So I'm not reinventing the wheel, but also how can I help the organization to grow in addition to what I'm, I'm doing as well. And then I think also you'd probably add to that when you've become very technically proficient at your job is making sure you have a good program in place to train people to also do what you do, because if you're the only one who knows, you can never take a vacation. That's exactly right. And, and that's one of the 21 characteristics is you learn something, you become a great expert at it, but you don't hold on to it because then you can't grow. You don't have the time to grow. So the model is learn, find the people that are interested and can, can learn, document what you're doing so that you can move on to the next level and you can develop other people in your role. And a lot of people don't see that as a, they see that as a threat. 
but I see it as an opportunity to grow and expand your uh, abilities and the organization. We'll be right back. And now it's time to meet 360 Solutions strategic partner, Meg Pogue. From Austin, Texas. Most of my career was in the nonprofit world, and after 10 plus years as the CEO of a nonprofit, decided I had had enough of the stress, and I actually had had a close mentor who volunteered for my organization named Bill Forsberg, and he was Ross Perot's right-hand man in all three of Ross's companies, doing leadership development and organizational development. So he coached me, he was what I call my secret advisor. We met monthly for coffee for five years as I grew my organization and acquired other organizations, and I realized I wanted to be like Bill. And Bill pointed me to 360 Solutions, and I went out on my own just recently. It's been great. If, like Meg, you're ready to help organizations develop their leaders, consider partnering with 360 Solutions. Our high-performance leadership framework helps businesses run more efficiently with an engaged workforce. Find out about partnering with 360 Solutions at 360solutions.com partner. Again, that's 360solutions.com partner. And now back to the show. I'd be interested, a lot of the leaders we talk to are in kind of like white-collar type of leadership positions where they're managing people in offices behind computers. But I'm sensing from your experience, you have a lot of experience with like the manufacturing side, the more blue collar. How are those cultures different? And how should somebody who wants to go in and help with the leaders in those organizations approach that? Yeah, I think the principles are all the same. Just the application might be a little bit different. Within the manufacturing area, what we try to do, and and this would probably apply to everywhere, but is to get the line leaders together to say, what's the organization trying to do? And then as the leaders learn, one of the things that we like to do is make those resources, whether they're from New Reality or from other organizations, how do they then coach into the organization to build leadership within the front lines? One of the characteristics I saw, uh, especially when I looked at higher performing places, is that the operators, the mechanics, the sales reps, anybody kind of in that front line area, they were taught leadership skills. They were taught to own their areas, to take charge. They were engaged for what they, uh, their knowledge they had. So it wasn't so much of a hierarchical, it was a team approach. And I think that's what you really need to do to get that whole unit to be moving from, I'm an employee, you're the leader, to we're all in the same thing, moving together. That's interesting, because I would think, you know, from an outsider perspective, that manufacturing may be more silo-based than other organizations, because it's harder to see the finished product when you're just working on one part of the widget. It is. And that's one of the things, another characteristic is if you're in a siloed area, you're making one part of the product, maybe you're passing that to an outside customer or just down the line to your other customer. Part of the leadership and part of your growing development is how do you understand the whole supply chain? So traveling to another site as an operator, what we used to send our operators to all of the plant sites where we either got materials from or where we uh, sent those to. And the, the learning from that was amazing. So they would see things and they say, wow, we could do something totally different. That's a leadership skill. Even if you're an operator in an area and you go there, we sent operators all the way up through vice presidents to, to distribution centers and customers, farmers, and they learn so much doing that kind of stuff. So you need to see the whole picture so that you can see how your part is, is uh, impacting the whole picture and how you can help the next person or the things that are coming into your area How do you influence changes that might need to be made there? An interesting personal story. I used to be the editor of a small military-based paper, 
and I would just make the digital format of it, and then I would we'd send it off to an outside printers to be put together. The leader of the office said it's important that the editor make a trip at least once to see it printed and then to help with delivery. And mm -hmm. I, I know exactly what you're saying. And when you finally see the full process from coming up with the ideas to putting the paper together to seeing it printed to having it delivered and seeing the people that get the deliveries like, oh, thank you for this. We really enjoy reading this every week. It really brought the whole process together and it let me see it in a way that I wasn't seeing it before. Yeah, I think it's just essential and we don't do enough of that. So just asking leaders the question when you're at a site or in a different business is, how are you connecting the dots for these folks? That goes a long way. And most of them say, wow, we never thought about it. How do you foster that in a environment maybe where it's always been, this guy's in charge, I'm not, and I don't really have any say in the business? If we can find the pain points of that leader, so they might have a very clear way of leading, but if we can just get them to describe what's, what's going on each day in their life and where they would like to shift, if we can ask a few of the why questions and what they're doing, often they'll self-discover that they need to make that change. So it's a, sometimes it takes a while for that to happen, but we had a, a unit manager at a site that was spending four to seven hours just walking the site because there's injuries there and he was afraid that somebody was going to do something. Mm. So I just asked him, I said, you know, you're working 13 to 14 hours a day. Do you want to be spending seven hours a day just walking and babysitting for the rest of your career? You know, and he smiled and he said, you know, absolutely not. <laughs> and as we asked a few more questions, he got it. They realized that they didn't have a training process. People just came in, they learned from the next person and it was very chaotic. Once they put in that training process, things were very methodical. It took a lot of things off his plate. And he was able to then focus on future challenges that were going to grow the business. And I'm sure in his view, he's like, I don't have time to train these people. I got to do stuff. And you, you said, look at all this time you're wasting having to walk around. That's crazy. You could be more efficient yeah. if you had that time back. Absolutely. And then that's one of the things that we started to drive is, you know, the kind of the managing and leading side of things. You need to, everybody's in a managing role, but we tend to over manage tasks and people instead of developing that, getting that running independently so that we can then look at the next part of the organization and look down the road a year or two and uh, get those chronic issues solved so we can serve the customer, improve our profits. We have a thing here at 360 called the Current Results Assessment, and it kind of helps people walk through every single step along the, the way to make sure that they're hitting all those very critical areas and making sure there's no inefficiencies. Do you guys do something similar with your group? You know, when I looked at this, I thought this is a very organized way of doing that. We probably don't have something this well organized, but we're asking the same questions. And often what, what's valuable about this is when the managers put their uh, thoughts down, they can see pretty clearly, you know, some of these things I don't need to be doing or I don't need to be managing. So they can then say, how can I build this into the organization? So I thought this was a great way to capture the job, the work, the tasks, and then to see do I need to be doing all these things myself? I think it's funny when we work with organizations, we almost always find that there's some point where they go, well, you're doing this here and you're also doing it here. And they didn't realize the redundancy. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you you get caught in the whirlwind of the everyday things that are, are nipping at you and you get stuck in that. Somehow you have to get out of that and be able to look at the balcony view. And that's not easy to do in our busy world. 
I'd be interested now, you were talking about, you know, there's only one of you and you only have a few colleagues, but you have all these places you're trying to train. And you were telling me that you kind of want these people to become coaches so that they can do this, the kind of work that you're doing with their people. What are some of the things that you think makes a good coach? And how do you get somebody who's maybe not comfortable with being a coach to be in that mindset? Yeah, I think we overcomplicate the coaching process. But, you know, as a leader, what we're trying to do is build the capacity of our organization and to make some money at some point. But <laughs> often what we do is we focus on the shareholder first instead of uh, the employees. A lot of, you know, good companies, good consulting processes, they focus on the employee first and really build their capacity, both technically and interpersonally. They connect them, the, connect the dots to other people, and they try to help make them owners of the process. So, in the coaching process, how do you just build that person so that they have, they're maximizing their potential and what they can bring to the organization? You're giving them the empowerment to make decisions, to go meet with people, other business people or other customers or clients, and you're backing off a little bit so that they can grow and develop. So what we have when we look at the tier model, for instance, one of those is how can we help them to pick up some of those high performing characteristics and come up with a plan around that? And we also can say, Technically, what, what is it that you need to learn most this year? But if you think of empowerment, engagement, and helping them to become a partner versus an employee, that goes a long way into your mindset of coaching. How do you coach them to work with employees that are maybe having issues that you can't really deduce? Is it a personal issue? Is it a, you know an apathy issue? Like, what is it? How do you help them through that process? One of the concepts we have is leaders tend to talk about 80 to 90% and listen about 10%. <laughs> And we have a thought process of 3070, which is, especially when you're in the coaching or you're diagnosing and trying to help somebody to discover, how do you listen about 70% of the time and inquire during that time and try to really get to the root of what the employee's going through instead of assuming. And so if you have a challenging process is just making sure that you're inquiring for quite a while to get that information before you advocate what they need to do. And you have to set some accountability and some uh, standards of where you're going with your vision. They have to see the strategy of what you're trying to do as well. And sometimes we hide that from people. But if you can see, they can see your vision strategy and the direction you're going. They can see the, the process in a visual way. You can then coach against that to see how they're going to fit in to make that real. Not easy. Right. So when you're working with these organizations, how often are you there in front of them and how often are they just kind of doing their own thing and you come back and evaluate at a later time? Often what we would do is set up goals for the year. And so I would, we would come in and show them the process, get them aligned with what they're going to do, get them moving. And then we would be more of a touch point. Sometimes we would come back and actually teach some of the materials. But what we were trying to do is get them to be self-coaches. So the materials that we have all had a facilitator guide and some PowerPoints to guide the discussions and a self-study workbook or a, a classroom workbook. If we could get the line leaders to be the coaches within the sessions, we found that that was much more powerful than an outsider coming in all the time. So we might establish the process with them, coach them. And then we also tried to help all the leaders within that line become facilitators. So even the frontline folks that were typically not seeing themselves as trainers or teachers or coaches, helping them to do that as well. You hit on an interesting point as well. How do you get over that stigma maybe of an organization that isn't doing so well, they know it, 
they have you come in to help them and maybe the workers look at you like oh he's a consultant and you know sometimes those people are here to fire people how do you how do you get them to let you into their inner circle i've had a lot of interesting stories on resistance one of the things that i, I again if you're listening to a person that's coming into a, a workshop or we're just in pre-meetings they had their arms folded I had a situation where a person walked into my workshop at 7.30, it was an eight o'clock workshop, sat down in the chair and turned the chair to the back of the room, sat in the back of the room and just Yikes. sat there. And I, so I went back and I introduced myself to him and I said, uh, it looks like you could use a cup of coffee. You know, I'm Neil, <laughs> are you okay? And he says, uh, look, I, my manager told me to be here today. Uh, I don't know what this class is. I, I saw that it's a leadership something, but you know, no offense to you, uh, but I've been a leader for 20 years. What are you gonna teach me in three days that I don't already know? So I had to answer really quickly, but my answer led him at eight o'clock to be able to sit in the front row and he was totally engaged the whole time. And basically what I said is, you may not be a student in this class this week. I'm a facilitator and not a trainer. What I like is for people that are established and they have the skills is to be a coach during these next three days. So if you could help me and use your wisdom to help these younger leaders that are coming in, that would be awesome. And that's all he needed to validate that I'm not there to give all my wisdom I'm there to facilitate them. And most of the time they know what the challenges are. They just need somebody to help them to get that surfaced. So that's a, a lot of the way to break down the resistance and to get them involved. I feel like a lot of time business consultants doing the kind of work that we do are more like a mirror and they just need to be held up and the people know the issues. They just need to see it for themselves so they can then work towards the solution. Yeah, and if you can just validate with them and help them to, for them to see it and which they often do. And then if you can help work with the, the their leaders, which often are not present, you know, they're sponsoring something and they're saying, go fix my organization. If we can get them all aligned, often then you start to see the synergy and the energy from that organization. Yeah, I just think we're in a time where, uh, and, and it was very aligning when I was at the Pittsburgh workshop with Crystal and Chip is, you know, so many people focus on the profit, they focus on the shareholder, and all those things are really important. But I've just seen how powerful it is when you can focus and build the experience of the employee, grow them, and you need the leadership skills, you need to understand what are those things that do that. Grow the employee, they're gonna make a raving fan customer at some point. They're, they're gonna be the ones to do that. That's gonna impact the shareholder. I worked for Ecker Drug before I came to DuPont, and their slogan was that the customer was the most important aspect of their business. And they had these slogans, our ties had it on there. The challenge was that with the new business leaders coming in, uh, Jack Eckert started it uh, in the 60s. He grew, grew a very family-oriented process. The new business leaders came in and said, the shareholder is the most important. So they cut the hours, the training for the uh, staff and our, uh, for the stores and the people that were working there. Our turnover went from 25% to 75% in just 18 months. And it destroyed the organization. Our thought process is, Let's learn the leadership skills that are going to really maximize the employee skills. The rest will kind of take care of itself. And it's really hard to get key leadership really to buy into that because it's one of those things where it's a, it's a long-term investment to really build the right people to run your company. And it may cost more money than you're actually making in the beginning, right? Yeah. And that's what they're not willing to pay for often. So if you can find ways to see the value in the beginning, it's a help. Um, I was at one place. And I didn't do any training at all. They had a problem where they were losing a lot of product each month, you know, close to a million dollars. They just wanted some people to come in and walk through and see what they could observe. The, the big challenge was they didn't need additional training so much is 
the people making the product didn't know that they were losing that. They didn't know how much the product was worth. Their job was to put the good product here and put the bad product there and then come in the next day and do it again. Finally, when they shared uh, just on a simple whiteboard, here's how much product we made that was good. Here's the defects. Here's how much all that's worth. And then they started to ask ideas from the front line of things. In about two to three months, they eliminated all the defects. Wow. They also realized that strategy-wise, they had customers waiting for products. So if they could speed up the line a little bit and learn those things, they were going to even satisfy that more. So you make the business visible to them, you engage them for ideas, you give them some empowerment, and they got an immediate return there. They might not know what exactly what they did. Uh, so sustaining that then might take some development for that whole line to make sure that they're following a good process. Been an interesting career, a lot to learn. And I still am learning, partnering with other people, learning from places like 360 and uh, the other organizations. Uh, my daughter is in, in this. She's just graduated from Wilmington University here with a degree in uh, organizational leadership. So she's kind of validated a lot of the, the same principles from a three-year degree that she's gotten with that. It's all out there. It's just how do we get that and make it known to busy leaders and people that are trying to keep their profits up. And you always have to be learning, don't you? You do. Can't ever stop. All right, Neil. So if people want to work with you, what's the best way to find you? Our website is www.newrealityleadership.com. So all one word. If they go there, they have all of our contact information and they can see some different ways that we can we can help them. So from individually coaching for them to do self-study with the resources, to do webinar coaching with their teams because we have virtual teams or to do like a book club with the materials. Sometimes people just get three or four people together and they'll work through the, there's 23 modules that we've organized around the case studies that we've seen. And uh, again, it's it's more about, you, you learn the material, the, the performance comes through a little bit of coaching and application in between the lessons, so to speak. And that's where we're trying to get people to see how do you really apply this to your organization and to yourself. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I've sure learned a lot. Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hpleadershippodcast. Follow us on Twitter at hpl underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.